Hey guys, it's Alex here with a quick editor's note on the top. Uh, we spoil Alien and Aliens in our first segment, so skip to about 19 minutes in to avoid those spoilers. And also, I forgot to mention during the episode to look for a trivia question. So this is our final week for the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 1 box set giveaway. Uh, like us on Facebook and send us your correct answers to a trivia question hidden in this episode. Uh, your name and your correct answer goes to feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com. Like us on Facebook and then enters you to win. So uh, that's about it, and on with the show. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. Today you just get the two of us, so uh, we're... we're we're boiling it down to the basics here, I yeah, guess. I don't just, know. Yeah. Just getting right down to the 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 bare bones of this thing. <laughs> um, right off the bat here, I'd like to say welcome to our uh, a cast of Kings listeners. I know that I suppose the last episode would have been your first one, most likely. Some of you might have caught our... Uh, uh, fast six. Our fast, our, yeah, our Furious Six episode before the After Earth one. But either way... We're glad to have you. We're very glad about all of the feedback that we've received, so we'll be going over some of that later on. But thanks for coming, and uh, I hope you stick around. Yeah, be it's been awesome to see you guys emailing and yeah, Facebook and Twitter, and it's been very cool. So please keep them coming. Yeah. It's super encouraging for all of us involved here. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then, so... I should say we're going to get into uh, a few discussion points. We've got a point-counterpoint with Alien and Aliens coming up. We're going to do a little discussion about video game movies that have happened, that should happen, that absolutely should not happen. (laughs) Uh, We've also got our our full review this week is going to be The Kings of Summer. It's not the internship. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, We've got a food for thought after that, and then we have some feedback, as I said. So um, this little layout of today's episode... Uh, as for the internship, um, I know we kind of put out on Facebook a little non-scientific poll of what we should do. Uh, we got a few answers for the internship and one for Pitch Black. Ideally, I don't really like to kind of lead up to what we're going to do the next week unless we know for sure that it's going to happen. Um, I don't think any of us particularly cared about the internship, but the Kings of Summer recently opened near us and... Uh, as as a goal of this podcast, I think we want to get people out there to see movies that they wouldn't normally see necessarily. Yeah, and and it's sometimes there's a bit of a snafu because I mean, let's just be honest here. We get three or four people on each episode, and it's it's hard to line up the schedules sometimes. Yeah. And in this case, we they unfortunately canceled the screening that we were going to go see. Yeah. For the internship, so but I th- I think that we're both very happy with with having made that decision I, I think i think there's a little bit more worth in talking about the kings of summer than there is the internship and at some point it might be interesting to look at the internship with respect to wedding crashers mm-hmm. but uh in any event we are not reviewing the internship this week it most likely will not get its own episode unless you know something happens but either way uh the kings of summer hopefully you guys will will enjoy this just as much um but other than that i think we're gonna jump right into our aliens versus alien or alien versus aliens counterpoint so we're gonna try and structure this like an actual debate and uh i haven't necessarily like fully prepared any sort of argument here and and i think i neither have i and so i think this is better it could be good it could be horrible 
you guys will have to let us know. You can let us know where you fall on the side of the debate. But um, and so keep in mind, we both like. I think we both like both these movies. Absolutely. But we each have our very unique stance when it comes to which one is the preferred. We so. do. We do. Um, so we're both gonna get three minutes. I'm gonna go first. Three minutes on why I think Alien is the superior of the two. Then Willie will uh, will offer his kind of opening argument for three minutes, and then we will both have chances to rebut each other. So that's kind of how this is gonna operate. We'll we'll see how it goes. It could. Uh, fail miserably and that's my clock if you want to listen here real quick that was like the perfect moment for the for your clock to go off there it is it is it's getting us psyched up <laughs> all right that was beautiful Wait, we get a few, we get a few chimes here seven of them to be exact Ooh. let the battle begin 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 <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, so... <laughs> now that that's over... Let's let my three minutes begin. Alright, so Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, uh, 1981? 79? Yeah, 79. 79. Ridley, <laughs> see, this is how awesomely prepared I am. That's okay. Um, I think upon my first viewing of these films, which was actually last year before Prometheus came out, my my attraction to Alien is really just the amount of atmosphere that goes into the movie. And I kind of... Last year was kind of the opening of my eyes to Ridley Scott, in a sense. And I had just seen Blade Runner. And and you really get a feel of these worlds that he's built. And, and Alien is absolutely no exception. Um, you also get Sigourney Weaver... An, an awesome performance, one of the strongest women char- woman characters that has ever been on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing cast in general. I know you don't necessarily care about Tom Skerritt, but this is like the one movie that you can actually stand in. I do like Tom Skerritt in this movie. <laughs> but um, So you have this kind of fantastic cast. You've got a brilliant script. You've got not only uh, fantastic suspense, but also brilliant little twists in the script as well. Um, and overall there's just all of the pieces add up to something great in this this movie is greater than the sum of its pieces with the brilliant direction brilliant writing, brilliant performances Um, just down to the fact of a shot will be composed of like it's totally Ridley Scott vision which is like backlit fans and you see the shadows on the wall and there's probably rain dripping down in the shot even though you're on a spaceship and there's like lights that are getting obscured by moving objects and it's just done to such a beautiful effect and how terrifying that movie can be to this day like there aren't many movies there aren't many horror movies that you can go back to to this day and say I am just as scared of this now as I would have been back then you know so it, it that's 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 where i feel that alien really succeeds and i and i think i'll hold my thoughts on aliens until you actually your your part of the argument begins but it's just kind of it's one of those movies that i i think it's a hallmark of horror it's a hallmark of science fiction it's a hallmark of thriller like it's it just kind of 
it has all of these beautiful different pieces to it that really make it a multi-genre, multi-exhibition uh, of talent. And, and it really shows. And, and I'm glad that the movie exists in total. And that's why I think it's better than Aliens. So, all right. <clears throat> Willie, your three minutes begins now. Aliens, directed by James Cameron. I believe it was 1986. Um, Aliens is the perfect sequel. And, and, and by perfect sequel, it does exactly what it's meant to do. It, it ups the ante. It adds new threats. It builds on the enemy of the first movie. It builds on the hero of the first movie. It builds on the score of the first movie. It builds on the scale of the first movie. It does everything. So that right there makes it the perfect example of what to do right in a sequel. On top of that, you've got characters. Now, I love the ali- characters in Alien, but Aliens. Aliens has these characters that are so so unique and interesting in their own little ways. Each character has their own little quirks. Every one of the space marines has has their own personality. It's not like you get a ton of a ton of uh, backstory on these people. Yeah. But every little bit of of dialogue informs you about these people and it gives you such a rich you care about every one of them. And most action movies and suspense movies aren't able to do that. And in this movie, I genuinely care about everybody. That is a testament. I can't I can't 100% say the same for for Alien. But we'll get more into that. Um, the score by James Horner is... It seriously gets me so pumped every time I see this movie. Like, he ratchets it up in the perfect spots. He hits those notes from Alien, those really suspenseful notes when he knows he needs to. But when it goes into overdrive, I mean, the scenes when they're shooting pulse rifles and towers with coolant leaks and there's aliens in every wall and flying in and one guy gets you it's perfect like the the tension and the action are so so in absolute synergy with each other Mm -hmm. it's a perfect blend of horror and action um and i i love it for that um because those are probably my two favorite genres um and the ripley character the ripley character really becomes ripley the hero in this movie she's very much the protagonist of the first film, absolutely. But in this one, she truly becomes this cinematic icon mm-hmm. that we've come to remember fondly and love and has been copycat a billion times after. That I means she's she becomes Ripley. That get away from her, you bitch. Oh my god, it's perfect. <laughs> that's where that's the moment. Um and we have unforgettable performances from I mean Lance Henriksen is an incredible synthetic human being. <laughs> like Definitely my favorite character the He's amazing. Yeah. Um Hudson, Bill Paxton, is one of the most quotable action figures <laughs> on film ever. <laughs> Michael Bean, super awesome. I can't say enough about the cast. Paul Reiser, super sleazy. And just everything comes together so perfectly. And I just feel like I always felt like I was more invested in aliens than an alien. As creeped out as I was by being like raped by an alien and alien, I was equally freaked out by aliens and more. All right. That's your three minutes. Okay. I could go on for ten minutes, by the way. (laughs) Um, I'll begin my rebuttal now. I would say that my issues with Aliens is that as it becomes more of an action film, which is also... This is something that you see in video games, to tie this in later. As it becomes more action-oriented you lose an element of the terror. And and there's something to be said about the amount of skill that it takes you to be terrified of one alien as opposed to 
overwhelmed by a group of aliens, in my opinion. So Absolutely. that's that's kind of. I think that skill's very important, and and I think a lot of the things that you said about aliens is true as well. In Alien, especially. Um, the score, to a lesser extent, it's not as iconic as what you would hear out of out of Aliens, but definitely the sound design too is top notch, which is, is something that I think a lot of filmmakers at the time didn't even care to think about. Um, and of course, Ridley Scott takes his time and 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 crafts that into his film. But um, I think, as well as the uh, the lessening of 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 horror not, not necessarily horror but the the lessening of the the suspense and the uh i would almost say stakes i think the stakes of aliens feels less because of the large scale and um despite the fact that you kind of have the the whole base that they're in to to fill it feels a lot of the times to me it feels like generic space station backdrop whereas in alien you really get like there's these different parts of the ship like the <laughs> the water condensers that's why there's rain on the ship is that there's water condensers that that you know uh what's his name Harry Dean Stanton Harry Dean Stanton walks into and eventually dies in of course like that there, there are these different pieces of the ship that I think all really have some sort of identity. Excuse me, identity. And I don't feel as though that comes across as well in Aliens. Um, and then finally, the third thing that I wanted to hit. Uh, I feel like in, in Alien, it's hard for me to, to, in any movie, to want to throw something at the screen. But the minute she wants to go back for that damn cat. <laughs> Jonesy. Jonesy is such a jerk because that eventually it turns out well especially you know you get this kind of nice little ending wrapped up in the pod going out and then the alien's still in there clearly the cat didn't cause her to die but you still get so infuriated that she's running back for that stupid cat so <laughs> as anyway. a cat lover I would the, probably do it too <laughs> I, I completely understand my three minutes are up by the way because <laughs> I would do that for my dogs as well but we should also note that the cat is the only surviving member of all alien movies. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So, all right, Willie, your three minutes of rebuttal up now. Um, I, I see what you're saying about the environments not necessarily being as varied or as... The, the setting of, of aliens, I would say, is not a character in the film as much as alien. The ship is very much alive in, the, in, in alien. However, I think that the use of of the environments they're in in aliens is is used so perfectly yeah. the use of the heat vents i mean there's a really tense scene obviously where they they aren't sure where the aliens are mm -hmm. coming from and i mm -hmm. mean this movie also set up a lot of incredible um technology that has been has been copied from there too i mean the motion trackers create so much tension in aliens yeah just that little that's true nee -nee, nee -nee. i mean just that the fact that they could utilize that it wouldn't work in a film today but mm -hmm. it still works in 1986 um, and, and I, I honestly think that the, I would disagree with the stakes. Um, I think the stakes in Aliens are higher purely because there are, I think you do care more about the characters. They can handle themselves better, but that's almost what makes everything seem so much more, um, overwhelming is that these are people that are trained to deal with situations like this and they still can't keep it together. 
Um, and I really enjoy that. Um, I know that in Alien, it's more of a survival tale. Mm-hmm. It's these people that are essentially just sh- cargo shippers. But um, no, I, I think that the I think the stakes in Aliens are higher. And I think Newt adds a lot to that, too. Yeah. Um, whether or not... I know a lot of people are annoyed by Newt in that movie. But I think that she's perfectly realistic for what a young girl would be... How, how a young girl would be handling that situation. Um, and I never, I never felt... In Alien, I never felt sad about any particular character getting killed, with the exception of maybe Parker and Lambert towards the end. Because mm-hmm. um, I felt bad for her because she was just all by herself. and she, yeah. It was sad. Um, and I really liked Parker. Um, but in, in Aliens, every time a character goes down, there's at least a moment, an unforced moment to reflect on, a breathing moment, like, holy crap, we just lost Vasquez. Like, <laughs> she just blew up. And... and yeah. And, and the same, I mean, I, I have to say it, Hudson's death scene is beautiful. Like, he goes out like a, I love that character. Yeah. But no, I ultimately, I think that, that Aliens surpasses Alien purely because it's, it just raises the stakes and raises the scale so huge. And, but it never loses sight of the characters. Yeah. Especially the Ripley character. And it easily could have done that. Um, but it keeps, not only does it not lose sight of that central character, it adds periphery characters to her to make her an even better character mm-hmm. and to make her to be able to delve deeper into her and it, that just that's that's the beauty of this movie that i think a lot of action movies lose now is they come first and foremost which is awesome so all right yeah i don't i don't think either of us unlike the fight club topic i don't think either of us are really going to uh yield in our love for either no, movie, and, either and, the movies and and i think that i mean honestly i'd love i love both these movies yeah, me too um certainly in the in the in the um the group of directors i consider my favorites ridley scott makes the cut and james cameron probably doesn't yeah um not that i don't like james cameron but um so it's interesting it's always been interesting to me that i like aliens better than alien yeah and um i don't know yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I'd like to hear from from listeners how they feel about not only how our debate went, but actually how they actually feel, feel about, about these it. two movies. Yeah, and it's. I think I, th- I don't think there's a wrong answer in this debate. I think the wrong answer is Alien Three is better. <laughs> yeah, but well, I, I have don't a feeling we'll be talking about Alien Three again some other time on this podcast <laughs> because if I have a film podcast that I'm on, I will talk about Alien Three at some point. Yep. Yeah. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. All right. So feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Let us know what you thought about the segment as a whole, about our arguments, and about the movie, the movies. Um, so up next, we are talking about video game movies. We just kind of got recent news that uh, Michael Bay has been tapped to kind of at least produce or work on a Ghost Recon film, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. Um Neither of us really particularly cares about Ghost Recon, I don't think. No. Uh, but we both love video games. It's also the week of E3, so we're kind of timely here. We're kind of crossing over before we start our own Midwest Game Nerds podcast. <laughs> but, um, So, video game movies that have happened. Let's start there. You've got, uh, I think the furthest back you can go is Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, well, I mean, Super Mario Bros. Tron would be probably the first real example of a video game movie. It's not based on a well, video yeah, game. Well, yeah, and that's that's kind of 
that's interesting too is to look at the definition of a video game movie. We like, should, vid- I think we should talk video game adaptations. Okay. To be fair, and I I just totally like disregarded what I was saying <laughs> somehow. But uh, Tron was a, definitely an early example of, yeah. of them doing that. Yeah. Video games were inherent to the plot of Tron. Absolutely. But, um, but yeah, Super Mario Brothers um, and some of those early, the 90s examples, which is when things really started to kind of come out. We had, you know, Super Mario Brothers, Street Fighter the movie, um, Mortal Kombat. Double Dragon? Double Dragon came out. Yeah. Um, so we had a slew of, mostly based on fighting games, interestingly enough, and a lot of the, the video game movies out there are based on fighting games. <laughs> which is um, interesting because... Fighting games, most notably up until like Mortal Kombat 2009, really didn't have story. <clears throat> they as aren't a part known for their them. plots. Yeah, um, their plots are usually delegated to a to a little ending cutscene saying. Or you'd have to stand around and read the, the the attract screens on the arcade cabinet to get the story of the Mortal Kombat characters. Here's the backstory of Sub Zero. Exactly. If you want to stand around and read it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that, that's interesting, and I think that probably has something to do with it's easier to mold yeah. to mold into what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, but no, most of that slew of movies in the 90s when things really started coming out, were, they, they weren't good movies. I mean, no. let's just be honest here. Street Fighter is not a good movie. Um, Trouble Dragon is not a good movie. Um, and, 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 and Super Mario Brothers is, is not either. Um, I like Mortal Kombat still to this day. It doesn't hold up all that great, but I still enjoy it. I think it. it holds up just fine, but you kind of just have to appreciate it for what it is. You have to realize that the special effects are going to be dated and, yeah. and whatnot, but it's that was probably the biggest six, that was the first time I went and saw, I saw all those movies in the theater <laughs> as a kid. My dad my dad always took me to the video game movies as a kid, and um, Mortal Kombat, out of all of those, was the only one I liked. Nice. I remember liking bits and pieces of Double Dragon, but I couldn't understand why one of the brothers was Asian and one wasn't. <laughs> That really bugged me even back then. I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why is Scott Wolf a double dragon brother? I don't get this. Um, but no, I we kind of transitioned out of that a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah. We got into Tomb Raider, which was a little closer of an adaptation, I think. I, it's been a long time since to, Tomb Raider, I don't know if it's necessarily a closer adaptation. It really kind of takes the character of Lara Croft and, and molds a, a movie plot around her. Because I don't think there was very much... Uh, you know, kind of parkouring through caves and fighting off tigers and things like sure, that. Sure, sure. But there was kind of an Indiana Jones uh, national treasure element to vibe it, to it, yeah. which which kind of fits Lara Croft. Sure, and it got a sequel, so it was at least marginally successful. I don't know yeah. the numbers, but it did well enough to warrant a sequel. Yeah, I didn't care for it. I remember, but I've never been a Tomb Raider guy either. So. Yeah, and I mean, I it, it was. It was entertaining at the time, which sure. is kind of what I thought, but I didn't really care at the time. I was pretty young, and mm-hmm. my brothers liked Tomb Raider, but I never really played it that much. Sure. It wasn't my cup of tea. But. Yeah. But we had a bit of a, a tiny bit of a renaissance there. You yeah. Know? We had Silent Hill come out in the early 2000s, and the Resident Evil started coming out in the early 2000s, and a few other adaptations. And now it's kind of, we kind of hit the point where Well, most... Well, I feel like we need to talk about Doom. <laughs> Doom, yeah. Well, that's one of them in kind of that renaissance of trying to get video game movies out there. And Resident Evil's kind of in there, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and I think I think most of those films don't succeed either, uh, both as adaptations and as standalone films. Resident Evil, I think, straight up fails as an adaptation. The first Resident Evil movie is not an adaptation of the games. No. It has elements of the games, 
but it more or less leaves them alone. Yeah. And I appreciated it for that. You yeah. know, as I, I remember seeing it the first time, I was wondering like, where's where's Jill Valentine? Where's Chris Redfield? And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, that's probably better. You're and not, I was right. Yeah, you're not going to be able to follow Jill walking through a mansion and wondering Finding if she opens keys. up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and I think most of those movies fail too. And I, I I hate to be a pessimist. It's just true. It's I, I can't think of, even leading up to now, when most of the video game adaptations we're getting currently are direct-to-video Tekken and, and um, Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li yeah. and, uh, you know, Far Cry. King of Fighters, so on and so forth. Uh, the Uwe Boll films, obviously, yep. um, which I don't even want to talk about because um, they're really terrible movies. Um, we're starting to get those. And it's, I, a good, it's a good thing Nick's not here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, yeah. He's a big Uwe Boll fan. <laughs> um, but I think what's interesting now is much the way comic book movies have found a bit of a transition out of the camp and the, the corniness. Because let's not forget, comic book movies are, I mean, they're huge. Superhero movies are huge right now. Yeah. There's, they are the biggest movies of the year every year right now. Mm-hmm. And, but there was a time when those were, most of those were pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Um, certainly in the 80s and 90s. Um, and we got kind of a, a, a renaissance of mixed bag, and then we now we're getting quality stuff. I think is is the general consensus, um, and I think we're starting to lead into that a bit with video game movies. Yeah, and the reason why I say that is we're getting we're getting an Assassin's Creed movie, and we know Michael Fassbender's attached. He's a that's that's a serious thing here. Yeah. Um, Although, I feel like you could have said something similar about Prince, Prince of Persia, Persia and Jake Gyllenhaal, but and I agree. Personally, I like Michael Fassbender more, but I don't. We need to see more before we get... Absolutely, yeah. but it's certainly a promising at prospect to get, you know what I mean? Some to, people might say that about uh, Hitman and Timothy Oliphant, but... It's true. It's true. <laughs> but I, I guess I guess what I'm curious about with this discussion, before we get too crazy into the, in, you know, into the history, if we haven't already, <laughs> um, what movies would you like... To, what games would you like to see adapted into into serious movies? Movies that can be taken relatively seriously. Not that you have to pick something that is a serious subject. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But something that will be adapted with quality and with care. I mean, I can kind of think of games that have elements that would be, that would lend themselves well, that are pretty cinematic anyway, and they don't necessarily have direct stories. But I know that I would love to see a, a, game like Fallout 3, where for the, for the people who don't play video games, to make this kind of a, an interesting discussion, you have the Capital Wasteland, like World War 3 has happened, decrepit uh, White House and monuments and everything, you're kind of concentrated in the in the area of, of D.C. It's a very Mad Max-inspired kind of landscape. Yeah, and that's the thing, it's kind of the snake eating itself here, because, you know... I was also going to say something like Elder Scrolls. Like, both of those franchises, coincidentally from the same developer, have kind of fed off of either Mad Max for Fallout or even uh, Fantasy Lord of the Rings, kind of everything for, for the Elder Scrolls. Uh, they they live pretty strict in their genre of post-apocalyptic or uh, fantasy. And so that kind of means that a lot of the elements in them gets... Uh, is kind of shared across, you know, many different things of that particular genre. Sure. But I feel like there would be an interesting story to take about, like, the, specifically about Fallout. You've got these vaults that people lock themselves in to, you know, wait out World War Three. 
it would be interesting to see some sort of movie that kind of follows a kid as he grows up and then you know the first the first act or so is about him growing up and getting out of the vaults and then the rest of the two-thirds of the movie is about him somehow ending ending up having to save the world you know and that that's that's i think that's a perfect example of something that could be adapted because you've got a rich lore Mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily have a strict storyline yeah fallout 3 is a very it's an open world game so you're allowed to create your own storyline to a certain extent yeah and there are plenty of characters in fallout 3 in the fallout universe that that exists that we've never seen. So you could easily take and make your own story in that existing universe. And I think fans would respond to that. Yeah. As long as the universe and the lore was kept intact. And respect, yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. And I think you're I think you're right about that. I think the the problem is a lot of, uh, in Resident Evil in particular, this, going back to that, is that Resident Evil um, as a game is, is has become more and more an interactive movie. Yeah. I mean, Resident Evil 6 is very much an interactive movie at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think that because the storyline is so so strict in in what it's trying to tell, yeah. you know, the events of Resident Evil 1 are the events of Resident Evil 1, 2 mm-hmm. or 2, so on and so forth, that a, a translation of those of those events on, on screen would be certainly exciting to see at first, but do you want to watch something you've already played? Yeah. And it's interesting in the Res- excuse me, interesting in the Resident Evil games how kind of starting with I would say really Resident Evil five, you start having large action set pieces and mm-hmm. different segments to the story that really are kind of informed by film itself and Absolutely. telling you know, that storytelling really kind of film storytelling kind of segued its way into some of the the larger games that you see nowadays. Mm-hmm. So while that would ne- that would probably work, Resident Evil 1, walking around a mansion solving puzzles, not really going to work out sure. particularly well. Sure. So. And it's, I think that, I think that there are certain, I think the kind of games you should avoid trying to adapt, and I think Super Mario Brothers is a perfect example of this, are the games that are more cartoony and, and kid-friendly in nature. I don't want to see a live-action Super Mario Brothers movie ever again. I don't think it should be done. I think an animated Super Mario Brothers movie, you know, that, someone, yeah. someone like Wreck-It Ralph with Mario, I mean, could be very cool. And I think the same for Mega Man. I don't necessarily know that I want to see a live-action Mega Man movie. I love Mega Man as a character, but I don't... I can't imagine that translated to screen, unless it's a CG yeah. thing. And I'd say something that kind of lies in between the realistic and the cartoony is probably Zelda. Like, if there's one Nintendo franchise that could completely pull off a film, mm-hmm. it's probably the Zelda franchise. And I think that's another example of a game that doesn't necessarily have a strict storyline. There yeah. are infinite number of links out there with an infinite number of stories to tell about them. Yeah. If you maintain that basic concept of Zelda... I think you're okay. Yeah. And the same goes for Metroid. I honestly think a Metroid movie could work. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, in the vein, in, since Transformers has been so successful and stuff, there's elements that are similar. I mean, the only thing about that, yeah, it's kind of hard with these because you, you have you have the one character. Sure. Centered around one character, and you know how tempted the movie studios would probably be to just be like, no, we need a team of people... You know, there should be an archer that's in, uh, like, take Link and separate him out into different characters and take Samus and separate her out into different characters in order to actually, you know, 
instead of having a well-rounded one character who you embody yourself in the game, it would be multiple one-note characters. You would need a cast. I mean, you, yeah, you can't and, have just the one guy questing by himself. Although, I now that I think about it, for some reason, this weird parallel's coming in, is that I think about Lockout and how there's a sport, like a support team that's behind one dude who then goes to help save sure. somebody. That could kind of be... I could see that working in, in a Metroid kind of universe. Or Escape from New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, they'd have to be clever about the ways that they do it, but I think those could totally work. Yeah, those are a couple of examples, but I think, in general, Nintendo properties... It's harder, because... I don't think that they lend themselves. Like I said, an animated movie, I'd be totally okay with that, but I, I don't I don't want to see a live-action Mario or Star Fox or any of those. Um, I do think that that on the other end of the spectrum, the very hyper-realistic games, um, games like Gears of War mm-hmm. or Call of Duty or um, Halo, you know, on the more adult-oriented side of it, I think that you you struggle to make those, too. And my reason for saying that is, quite frankly, that those those games are so much like playable movies that it's almost like, why would I... Why would you make You're it just again? taking the controller out of somebody's hands yeah. and saying, sorry, you just have to watch this now. Yeah. So that's, there's there's a... There's an inherent problem with that right away. I don't, I don't think it's impossible to make those into movies. I think that each one of those could make an interesting movie, but I think that's tricky. And I mean, one of the trickier aspects here is something that you you kind of brought up with uh, with Zelda and with Fallout is um, you kind of have to play with the idea of it, when you're making the adaptation, you have to play with the idea of satisfying the movie-going audience and satisfying the people who love the games. Mm-hmm. Because if you come in and make a Gears of War game and Marcus Phoenix isn't Marcus Phoenix, then you're going to have those people that are going to hate the movie. If you pull it off well, it could end up being a great film. Sure. However, on top of that... You then no you 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 just eroded the the fan base that you bought in like that that the reason that the studio is making this movie is because there is that built-in fan base that will come see this movie. Absolutely, yeah. And so there's that really interesting kind of juggling of of priorities and and what actually needs to be done to make mm-hmm. a good movie as opposed to satisfying the fans. And so with something like Zelda, as you said. There's been it's precedented that there are multiple versions of Link saving multiple versions of Zelda and fighting know. multiple versions of Ganon. And... Yeah, so you can, you have those key players, but you don't necessarily like Link's a blank slate. You can he's, you he's, can there's no he doesn't have any dialogue. He doesn't. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. he literally is. There's Link is not a character. No, not really. You Link are is Link. an avatar. Link Link is your cipher into the world. And Absolutely. Much, it could it would be the same way through the movie and then on top of that you'd be able to apply whatever personality you want to fit your story onto that character but sure. things like gears of war or uncharted or uh, just games with games with very game, defined characters yeah exactly like games with with deep characterization it's it's just kind of like that's a that's a tough struggle to be. You can't apply a new character to it, and if that you don't want to watch an Uncharted movie that doesn't star Nathan Drake. Yeah, no one wants to see that. And people people who want to who go to see an Uncharted movie starring Nathan Drake, you have to play with the fact that 
do they want to see Uncharted Drake's fortune on the screen, or do they want to see Drake in a new story sure. doing something different? In an adventure that harkens to some of the stuff that he's done. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears> I mean, <throat> it's de- it's definitely interesting, and uh, there's a lot of video game adaptations. I would love to see an Uncharted game, and I'm glad that whatever David O. R- Russell was going to make is not going to happen. Cause I he think Uncharted totally, to that, that totally works as a as an adaptation. There's no reason that Bruce Campbell isn't Sully and that Nathan Fillion isn't Nathan Drake and that that movie <laughs> isn't being made right now. But Why we are know, you not being made? We know my feelings on this. Um, <clears throat> so let's go through real quick. I kind of just want to take a look about a look at the things that are that are in the pipeline. Sure. Um, we've got Need for Speed. There's There's a Need for Speed movie coming out starring Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad fame. They just kind of, mm-hmm. I think they just put a teaser out at E3, because yeah. it's kind of the crowd that they're catering for. I think that fits under the category of, uh, the, you, you can see the movie studio seeing it as, okay, here's a, we can make a Fast and the Furious franchise, and we can't, like, piss off fans about not having the right story in it, because it's a Need for Speed game. Yeah, and that's smart. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's they, the studio probably wanted to make a racing movie. Like you said, they probably want to make their Fast and the Furious. And they were like, okay, well, are there any existing names we can put on this thing? And boom, there you have it. And, <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing is, if you talked to me a few weeks ago, I probably wouldn't... Uh, Aaron Paul's attached, so I would care about it a little bit. But now that I've seen the Fast and Furious, I kind of am somewhat interested to see what a need the for competitor. Speed does. Yeah, like, if they do make it some sort of heist film, like Fast Five, or, you know, just apply some sort of rationale like that to it as long as it's not just a straight up street racing film and maybe maybe it's just going to be the fast and the furious the first film (laughs) just written the way that everybody wanted it to be written and you don't know that sophisticated yeah like but i you know who knows um we got another resident evil movie coming at some point in 2014 let's not talk about that because i don't want you to have an aneurysm (laughs) uh there's an angry birds movie coming Probably animated, I'm assuming. Probably animated. That's fine. So, you know, uh, you brought up Assassin's Creed coming in 2015 at the moment. That's, There's a lot of potential there. Yeah. I And it's it's tough. I think that's one where you could really, really get wrapped up in the lore. And not to pre-spoil people, but you'll forget about this, this before the movie comes out. If you haven't played Assassin's Creed and you want to, tune out for five five seconds. I feel like that movie needs to end with the revelation that... It's not, like, it, 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 the movie needs to start out in the Middle East, like, pre-super long time ago Middle mm-hmm. East, like the game. Yeah. Like, the the setting of the game is, but save all of the science fiction to it until the final little bit of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that could make a really successful story. I think that would catch people. Totally. As long as you, like, do it respectfully and that if you're smart and put in little clues that everything isn't as it seems throughout the whole thing and you'd have to it's because that way you can't make it a cheat yeah you know yeah um only other things that are kind of up here the other big and interesting one duncan jones is attached to a warcraft film that's another one where i think that there's a ton of lore a ton of backstory for yeah. things for events but there's not necessarily a strict storyline in the actual games themselves. Yeah. Because because of the nature of how those games are played, it's not like there's you have to stick to a specific, you know, you can go on different raids or whatever that you want to do when you want to do it. So there's no, you know, that that 
could make a very cool movie. Just the universe itself. Yeah, it's... And it's I think just, they could do it without pissing everybody off. I, I mean, if, if you walk into a Warcraft movie just expecting that you're going to get a somewhat cool uh, fantasy realm, and they do a good job of, of not beating you over the head with lore that you're expected to know... True. It could be a very successful movie, so... Alright, I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we will head right into our review of The Kings of Summer. Uh, so we will be right back. Okay, so this week, we are reviewing The inter- I mean, uh, the Kings of Summer. Jordan Vote Roberts, The Kings of Summer. Uh, Roberts is <laughs> written by Chris Galletta, uh, starring Nick Robinson, Gabriel Basso, and Moises Arias. I don't know if I said any of those correctly, technically. Nick Robinson and Gabriel Basso is pretty easy. But... <laughs> um, so those are kind of the three main kids in this movie, and uh, the, the, the synopsis here on IMDb is three teenage friends in the ultimate act of independence decide to live their summer spending a... Or spend their summer building a house in the woods and living off of the land. So, um, there's a lot of other supporting characters that that are more recognizable, like, say, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec is the father of, of Joe. Um, Megan Mullally, his wife of Will and Grace fame, is the mother of another one of the kids. Uh, Allison Brie of, of Community and a bunch of other little comedy uh uh, cameos here and there um so yeah this is it's a limited release so it's not necessarily that all of you are going to be able to see it right away we're going to stick to no spoilers uh so we'll, we'll keep it as clean as we can in that respect um so as it's about a bunch of teenagers you can kind of expect the territory that this movie kind of runs in you know there's very much a coming-of-age kind of uh, teenage kids film vibe about it, and that's what it ultimately achieves in the end. Um, and I personally, I'll say, I, I really enjoyed the movie in all aspects. I think the performances were fantastic. Uh, I think the story's really cool, and, and, and that's kind of it's kind of something that uh, I've seen in other pieces of of media that I, I always have found interesting, uh, and um, just kind of everything about it is really good. I do, however, feel as though if I would have seen this movie, you know, seven, eight years ago, when I was uh, the teenagers that are in the movie, I probably, you know, would the movie would have brought something more to the table for me. What What do you think, Willie? I agree. I I think that not not to make this sound negative. Oh no, no! I this really, is... I really enjoyed this movie. I, yeah, I did. But I, I understand what you're saying. I, you know, it's it's the thing is, if you, for instance, um, Superbad. Mm-hmm. I thought Superbad was very funny when I saw it. But I guarantee you that if I was a teenager trying to find ways to get some beer for a party I was going to, I would love that movie so much more. Trying because, to get that girl that you liked. Yeah, to like because I'm back, in yeah. that mindset. You know, I'd be in that mindset. Um, and I think that 
I think that this it's still this movie is very enjoyable, but I understand what you're saying about that. Yeah, and I think much about another movie that I've talked about and you've talked about as well since the podcast has started, uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Same exact way. Yeah, yep. like these these are definitely movies about teenagers kind of finding themselves and 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 people that they can connect to, and young love and teen angst and all that stuff that you know yeah. goes along with being that age. Which is interesting because it's kind of a lot of story elements that all wrap into one really well. They always do because it's always things that we as humans experience at that age most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something to be said about being a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid and watching The Breakfast Club. Absolutely. Or uh, Stand By Me. Or those those great... The Sandlot. Yeah, those those great, you know, they're not kids' movies, but they are, but they're not. It's The kids are the, are, the, are the main characters, and so when you're a kid, you're going to relate much easier to what's going on, yeah. you know. Um, as you get older, it's a little harder to... I relate more to Office Space now than I relate to, you know, <laughs> to Stand By Me, but there yeah. was a time when that was very different. Yeah. It doesn't make the movie any better or worse yeah. by any means, and in this case, I... I think it's a very well-made movie. Um, like you said, all the performances are great. Yeah, everybody, everybody's perfect in their roles. Nick Offerman's great as the as the kind of grumpy, um, over not overbearing but grumpy, controlling father, and uh, Megan Mullally and and the man that plays her husband are perfect as the as the totally like overprotective, obnoxious parents. Yeah. You know, with the white picket fence and the perfect garden out front and stuff. Like, they're perfect for that. Like, yep. they're really great at that. And the kids are... All of these kids could go on and have really solid careers. All of them. Including the, the female lead. I don't remember her name. Um, uh, but shoot. Kelly in the movie, but Aaron Moriarty is, is her. They're, they're all really good. The three, yeah. the three male leads in her are all really, really good. Especially the character, that the actor that plays... Uh, Joe. Joe, he, oh my God, he's he. Or uh, Joe and uh, Biagio. Biagio, uh, oh man, Biagio. <laughs> we'll get to Biagio. Yeah. But the the one thing I will say about this movie that really, really, that I've been noticing in in, in some movies lately, is that I find that, um, in the case of this and Perks of Being a Wallflower and Amazing Spider-Man, um, they capture that that time period of your life, that first. Uh, not your first interest in females, but the first time that you... That, you can't explain this feeling, but there's a feeling you get, okay? And I'm, I'm sure anybody listening has had this feeling at some point in their lives, probably in high school or middle school, where you walk home feeling like you are absolutely on top of the world because that girl talks to you. <laughs> because you have a conversation with that girl. Or, or you walk home from school with her. Or... You know, uh, you bump into her somewhere. You just you, you're like yes! she asks you to like, hang out at a party or something. It is. It is. Yeah. There's that that totally indescribable feeling of just like I can conquer the world right now. You yeah. know, and this this movie does a really good job of capturing that through the character of Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I totally like. I, I kind of like the character of Joe because he's not written <clears throat> as any particular type of stereotypical teenager. He's not overly nerdy. You know, he's not like the the geek that gets picked on all the time. Yeah. He's not, you know, some sort of meathead jock. He's just a kid. 
and, and I really like that. And he's not even like with respect to perks of being a wallflower. He's not like an introvert. He's not. Uh, no, he's he's a kid, and yeah. and I, I felt like I could relate to that because I never felt like I was any of those stereotypes that I had seen so often in in movies, in in not so well written teen movies. And on on top of the writing, not to cut you off, mm-hmm. but on top of the writing, I think this is something um, I was thinking about this with respect to Juno in particular. Juno, written by Diablo Cody, feels like it is written by Diablo Cody. Mm-hmm. Everybody in that movie speaks as though they are Diablo Cody. Sure. Whether they are a teenager or an adult, or a man or a woman... They're all. They all kind of have a particular uh, vocabulary and not necessarily cadence, because that comes down to the actor. But just the way that the lines are delivered and how they choose to say things all sure. feels very much like a singular person. Mm-hmm. This movie does a really good job of not only having three distinct kids who all deliver their. They all. They all have an identity in the way that they speak and mm-hmm. and, and the words that they choose. But then on top of that, their parents and their adults come from a place that feels as though those characters are older and wiser, but also overbearing and overprotective and not as connected to their children as they need to be. So they're, they're, it's very, you have very defined characters, characters that aren't lost in the writer's, uh, lost in the writer's own Voice. sense of self. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And, and, and one thing, too... Uh, that I want to say about this is that none of these characters feel fake to yeah. me. Um, Biagio is a little... Biagio is really silly. He's really strange, but the, I, I've seen and met kids like that, so I <laughs> yeah. can't say that it's... Everybody had that one friend That who one was friend who was like nuts. the wild card. Yeah. Like, what is he going... Why is he having a machete right now? <laughs> um, but no, um, and, and, and what's cool about the writing of the adults is that when you're watching them, nothing that they're doing is particularly bad or like like none of them are being abusive to their kids or 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 being unfair to their kids. Even Nick Offerman's character is kind of a jerk, yes. Yeah. But is he being unfair to his son? Not necessarily. No. Um, but yet the kids are so charismatic and the way that the characters of the, of the kids are written that you see these adults as alien. I'm an adult, yeah. and I see them as alien. I'm just yeah. like, God, what is wrong with you, yeah. man? Like, <laughs> So they do a, an amazing job without me even noticing that I was like rooting for these kids when really I should be like, guys, come on. Like, You're building a house in the woods. Quit being ridiculous. Yeah. But, Your parents are worried about you, kids. Go home. <laughs> yeah. No, but this – and it, it captures that as well, too. There are two other elements of, of that, that point in youth that it captures very well. One is the sense of um, camaraderie you have with your friends at that age. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not that you don't have a sense of camaraderie with your friends after middle school and high school, but it's a different thing. Like, you all feel invincible at that age. You yeah. all feel like you all feel like you could build a house in the woods and survive on your own and have no issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's, yeah. There's that who hasn't wanted to build a clubhouse with their buddies? And, well, not only that, but it also is that your friends are the world at that point. Exactly. Like, y- you don't you don't care about that book or those video games that you were playing or reading or whatever, you want to hang out with your friends the whole time. Yep, exactly. It's it's less about what you're doing. It's more about who you're doing it with. Yeah. And and going into that as well, this movie does a very good job of capturing what it feels like when for for I'm sure it's the same for girls. I'm I can't speak for sure, but for for young young adult men, 
what it feels like when girls enter the the, equa- yeah, the equation. Totally. Because it, it does, you know, girls girls for, for a teenage guy, there's a point when that becomes everything and it becomes hard for you to balance your friendships with mm-hmm. your interest in girls. Yeah. And this movie does a very good job of organically making that part of the story. And it feels true. It feels real. Yeah. Absolutely. And I and I feel I feel the heartbreak of characters when mm-hmm. things don't work out. I feel the happiness of characters when things do work out, and it's hard to root for anybody. Yeah, and you, you, I think there was a point where you turned to me and you were like, "Yeah, I know how that feels," and I was like, "Absolutely." There, there were many times through this movie where you definitely you went through some semblance of what was going on yourself, some version of what these characters are going through. Yeah. You know, I certainly didn't go out in the in the woods and build a house, but no. I've dealt. I know I dealt with things at that age that they were dealing with as well. So it's it's there are some very cool themes, but it, it, it's an entertaining enough movie, and and I think this movie works well for adults too, because I think I think the adult characters are so funny. Yeah, <laughs> and especially Nick Offerman. I mean, he's yeah. really really like this is this is borderline awards worthy stuff that he's doing in this movie. I I think he's very funny he's very very nuanced he doesn't overdo the emotion mm-hmm. he doesn't like he feels like a real character yeah, and that's not, so hard yeah. to do in a movie like this like most of the time these are these movies are very sappy and very but he never feels like he, he feels like a real person and that's that's a testament he, he's a great actor and i i mean i like i've always liked him on parks and rec i mean not that i've been watching it that long but i've i've always enjoyed him and but now I know that he can well, do... Yeah, that's the thing. Ron Swanson is very much a caricature. He is the man's man. Like, that. his character on Parks and Rec is very much... He's not one note, but he's just... Exaggerated in, in, oh, in every aspect he's of... He's a cartoon. Yeah. You know? So I to mean... see Nick Offerman pull off a, a somewhat dramatic role with the comedy kind of sprinkled in rather than a funny character... Sure. It's 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 awesome to see that he has that range. It's great. And 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 I I'm very impressed with him in general from this cuz I I wasn't sure what to expect from him. Yeah. You know, I was wondering I was like are we just going to get Ron Swanson and I'm happy it was not. Cuz cuz I mean in in a sense the other parents that you're looking at are very much kind of caricatures. I mean, sure. They're still they're they're very distinct characters. Yeah. But they uh, like Megan Mullally, she her character feels like take like pull in everybody's mom's like their pet peeve about their mom into one character into one character sure. and have her be all of them sure so in a sense you know uh Nick Offerman Frank in in the movie he's very much a a character on his own mm-hmm. please excuse my my clock once again <laughs> but uh yeah it's 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 awesome to see him play that, and it's a testament to how well the character is written too. I think, yeah, so. I, there's nothing. There's nothing I don't. I there was nothing I particularly disliked about this movie. No, you no. know, I it's. I think it's one of the be- best movies I've seen this year. Yeah. Um, and it's the nice thing is it's just it's it's a small, really self-contained, just a small slice of a slice of a story. It's it's not. It doesn't try to over like it doesn't doesn't like forcefully try to add weird themes into it and, and like try to make it anything more than it is it's it's a, just about these kids like figuring out who the heck they are and, yeah. and you, even you know even by the end they don't you know you, they don't necessarily who know who they are but they certainly have a better idea yeah um it's it just I don't and know. and they and they learn to uh they kind of 
the character the, the characters themselves not all of them go through arcs sure but their relationship with respect to their parents goes through an arc yeah and their relationships with each other yeah certainly yeah um even in a character like biagio who's very much there for mostly for the comedic relief because he's hilarious i mean yeah. one of the funniest characters i've seen in a movie in a long time yeah and naturally funny. It didn't feel... He never felt... He just felt like... He's one of those people that you look at on screen. And it's not... It's Part of it's his face. Part of it's the way that he carries himself. But everything about it is just hilarious. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's great. And I I haven't had a an actor show up... And I don't even know if, if, if this is on par, but when um, Christopher Mintzplatz showed up in... in in Superbad. Super I hate to keep going back to Superbad, yeah. but he was really, just looking, I was like, oh my god, this kid's hilarious. Like, yeah. look at him. And I think the, the kid that plays Biagio is even more so. Like, mm-hmm. you look at him and you're just like, oh my god, who are you? Where did, yeah. you, where did they find you? And he's really good. Yeah. Um, you know, his little quirks, like, um, talking to his father in Spanish for no real <laughs> Absolutely. reason. Absolutely. It's so good. Out of nowhere. But it just, it, it makes total sense because he's so strange. And, um, and yeah, and it's... Yeah, and his dance moves are the highlight of the film. I'm just gonna throw that out oh, yeah. there. Oh my god, you know that's that was great. We need to see more Biagio dancing <laughs> in in the near future. Biagio spinoff. Absolutely. Um, no, I I really enjoyed this movie, and I want to say the soundtrack um, was very cool. Mm-hmm. It had weird elements of like eight bit video gamey stuff going on at certain points, and it was unexpected, but it was kind of kind of neat, and it yeah. it felt it fit like the the kid. You know the 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 story about the kids. It yeah. was like, okay, this feels yeah, this feels like a I don't know. It felt right, um, and I, I I it's it's a cool movie too because it's timeless. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel. Like, I mean, they're not on Twitter the whole time. Like, hey, hashtag Woods Woods House, meet us there. You yeah. know, like it doesn't feel. There's, there's one use of a song in this movie that kind of bugged me. There's a there's like a hip hop rap type song play oh. during one part. And because it's so different from the stuff that we hear in the in the movie to that point, it was a little distracting for me. And I don't necessarily, I, can I can't necessarily that. say that it fits what was going on in that scene. So that was a little bit that that's like my one gripe about this movie in total. Yeah, yeah, I I, I don't necessarily agree with that point. Uh, I, I will say it does feel very timeless. Uh, I mean, there are cell phones used, but it's. It's not to like, Mm-mm. you know. It could have very easily been like a house phone that, you know, is attached to the wall or is a cordless phone or something mm-hmm. like that. And it's not. They're not texting each other. It's not that kind of thing. But it's very. It's one of those. It's. It'll be interesting to see. Like I would love to know what my parents think about this movie, but I'd also like to know what like my possible future children could think of this movie years sure. from now. So. Will it hold up the way that yeah you know Sandlot and and whatnot have held up yeah mm-hmm. that's that yeah that'd be interesting I would I would say I think so yeah I would hope so and I, I think the same for Perks of Being a Wallflower as well mm-hmm. those these are those are both they're not similar movies at all I don't think but they both certainly deal with with that time period and they do both do it very well yeah I, they're, yeah they're similar in the sense of uh, kind of where the characters are at mm-hmm. and, and where they're at in life so. Yeah. I think uh, we can go with grades and kind of wrap up here and then proceed on to other things. But sure, what do you think? Um, I mean, I I can't I can't not give it an A. I I can't because I can't I honestly can't think of any 
major complaints I have, and I really enjoyed it. And I think I'll watch. I, I guarantee I'll watch it again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it's an hour and a half long. It's it's not brisk, but it's not overly long. It's very much as long as it needs to be, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Which is a, a breath of fresh air. Yeah. It's so many times you walk into a movie and you sit down, the pacing's totally off, parts slow down here and there, and, you know, but it's, this movie, I think, shows some discipline in that area, and, uh, you know, I think, I, I myself, I would give it an A as well, as yeah. you said, I don't have any real major complaints with it, um, and I hope that, you know, at some point, this movie may not come somewhere near you, but... It'll be on Netflix, watch instant at some point, or, or on demand, or, on, or something like that. Yeah. So hopefully you guys can go check it out. Um, and at the very least, I'd like to think that we get you to go see this movie rather than go see something like the internship. Or... Which, which there's a good chance you're probably already going to see at some point. You yeah, know, it's a bigger movie, and and it's pro- it's probably likable enough. It it'll probably come down to whether or not you like Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. or you know Owen Wilson and and whether or not their comedy really still works, which it yeah. probably is fine. But uh, I think The Kings of Summer, you know, it's something that you will somewhat have to seek out, and I think you should. And I think it, it can appeal to pretty much anybody. Yeah. I honestly, I honestly feel that way. It's hard to find movies that I think would appeal to pretty much anybody, but this is definitely yeah. one of them. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we will take one more quick break, and then we will be back with Food for Thought and uh, feedback. It is time for our final trivia question for the Marvel Cinematic Universe box set. Uh, Willie, take it away. Okay, in The Incredible Hulk, the movie with Edward Norton, there is a certain soft drink, a Girana soft drink, that Mr. Stanley himself drinks and possibly hulks out to. What is the name of that soft drink? This one might be a little tough. You might have to seek out uh, some footage and, and do some some eagle eye looking at. But uh, freeze frame the heck out of that DVD or Blu-ray. Or... Absolutely, that Blu-ray that you're already trying to win right here. Uh, email your answer to feedback at midwestfilmnerds.com and don't forget that uh, you can go back check out the previous three episodes, which also have trivia questions. You can still email those in. We'd like to have them all in by uh, Wednesday or Tuesday night, the Tuesday night after. The Man of Steel. So let me give you an actual date here. That would be Tuesday the 18th. Have all of your your answers in before, let's say, noon on Tuesday. Tuesday the 18th, noon Eastern. And uh, that's about it. Good luck. And we're back with Food for Thought. Willie, take it away. Um, Kings of Summer is... It's kind of a movie... We, I think we mentioned this earlier that doesn't really... You don't see movies like this anymore, like the coming of age. They're really cool, like, slice of life, teen tales. Um, and those are movies I really liked as a kid, and I know that you did as well. Yeah. There are, are certainly other kinds of movies. You can't even call them genres, but just types of movies that I remember as a kid that I don't feel like I see anymore, mm-hmm. as much of anymore. Do you have any that any types of movies that you really want to see kind of come back or? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting because this has kind of been brought up two times before. I'm not sure if this is on the recording or not, but Nick was talking, I think, last week or two weeks ago about not really seeing very many adventure movies anymore. Um, yeah, I think I had mentioned that. 
Or maybe it was you. Because I watched Congo, you know, my recent yeah, yeah, Congo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's very much like, um, you know, you get movies like Race to Witch Mountain and like kind of younger skewed adventure films, but you don't get the Indiana Jones, which is still a bit young. You don't get the Romancing the Stone, which mm-hmm. we've talked about previously. Jurassic think, Park. Yeah, I'd I'd like I'd like to see these kind of not necessarily adult focused adventure movies, but just like playing for the the the, the older audience a little bit. Because mm-hmm. um, I feel like there's a lot of skill that goes into like Indiana Jones is is enjoyable whether you're a kid or not. Um, I I personally haven't seen like Race to Witch Mountain or any of like the newer kind of kid films like Journey to the Center. Jo- of the yeah, I haven't really seen those, so I can't say whether or not they are as entertaining for for you know people of our our sure. age or older. So I would really like to see kind of a resurgence of of adventure movies that that are fun for the whole family, including the parents. You know, the, yeah, they aren't the whole... afraid to shy away from things when they need to. Shows, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think that would be really good. And I mean, you get things like uh, James Bond, but even James Bond movies now aren't really the same as what they were before. We can argue whether or not they're headed there, but um, it's just kind of those big sweeping adventure movies going after relics of lost things, and you know. Yeah, yeah. The the adventure movies, the you know exploration of new places and deserts and jungles and yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. That, that, those are missing quite I don't a bit. feel like they've gone everywhere. I don't think they have. No. So they should come back. There have to be plenty of places we can still go with those kinds of movies. Yeah. And I think that those would be welcome for a lot of people. Yeah. They're a nice throwback to to a, a different era of film. So. Yeah. Um, especially with today's technology. Some of the stuff you could accomplish with those would, yeah. be, would be very cool. And then, you know what? One more thing. I would like to see... Hitchcockian suspense make a resurgence. Yeah, we haven't we've uh, we've had a lot of um had a lot of movies that have been or directors that have been paired to Hitchcock or called yeah. Hitchcockian, but I never feel like we've had a a legitimate example of the true Hitchcock style since and we might never. Yeah. But um, it, and obviously he's a he he was a master and it's it's hard to emulate or even match, get anywhere close to that. But I feel as though we've taken such a large focus on the horror and torture porn and all sure. that kind of thing, so much so that the suspense film has kind of taken a back seat. Mm-hmm. So, no, that's know. that's true. That's true. The 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 horror doesn't really lie in suspense anymore. Yeah. As opposed to they show it's all they, it's they all play about their hand. Like, they show yeah. their hand really early. It seems like even um, a film um, Mama. The Guillermo del Toro produced. produced. Yeah. I was interested in that. I thought the trailer was very, um, very creepy, and, and it had kind of an old school horror vibe about it. But I feel like they once again they played their card. They just showed their hand too early. Yeah, and it's it, sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's just the fact that you know jump scares are monetized more than actual intellectual like creepy getting your head scares yeah Yeah. and and you know maybe i should go back and watch signs again because i might appreciate it more now that i'm a a little bit older not not that i didn't appreciate it at the time but Mm -hmm. i think signs might be kind of one of the 
one of the last bastions of that kind of thing. It's still pretty far removed at that point, but I mm-hmm. would I would love to see somebody come out and be like, "Here's my my masterpiece of of suspense," which is It'd unlike nice. anything we'd seen we've seen lately. So it'd be very nice. I got to agree with you on that. Yeah. Um. For me, I and and you know, please feel free to send feedback and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I miss the original. Um, original made-for-film children's fantasy films. Yeah. And by those, I mean um, things like The Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. And Legend is a little more adult-oriented, but I, th- I, f- I put it in there, too. Willow. Yeah. Um, I Know Neverending Story was, was based on a... We did the research on this beforehand. It was based on a German novel. Yeah. So it it did come from a source, piece of source material, and so did Princess Bride. But I miss those... There's something missing... From today's fantasy, children's fantasy films. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the Narnias and um, even the Harry Potters to a certain degree. There's something missing there. I, I can't pinpoint what it is. I don't know if it's because they're packing such a huge production value behind them and these movies didn't have as much to work with and there was a lot more... They were limited by certain things, and it, it was it wasn't a hindrance to the movie. Yeah, um, it was actually helpful. Um, I mean, I love Willow. Willow's a great movie. Actually, I mean, it really is. Um, I'm a Willow apologist, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I shouldn't be though. Screw that. I'm not yeah. an apologist anymore. Well, even uh, Goonies kind of fits in both of our. It does. And and it's it, it. I think the thing, a lot of the thing that is missing, that these were like very original. Like what what we're seeing today, I think part of it could be that um just the fantasy setting isn't as appealing as it used to be. You get yeah. a lot of uh uh kids movies. I mean, most of them are animated nowadays in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, if they're not animated, then they're based on something else. And that's one of the things I think with the current uh fantasy film trend is they're all based on young adult novels yeah. for the most part. Um and that's fine. I you, a lot of those movies come from those sources, but I feel like with the, with the Harry Potters and the Narnias and um, Percy Jackson even, there's a lot of lore yeah. that goes into those. And if you look at a movie like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or Legend, you don't. there doesn't need to be a ton of lore behind it. You're yeah. instantly transported to whatever fantasy world they're in. And, yeah. and, and you they learn naturally about it as, let you learn yeah. about throughout the course of it. There's not a huge amount of, well, the book is better. Well, you, the beauty of these was there was no book. <laughs> exactly. There was no book to be better. Yeah. Like they didn't, you know, y- y- there were no missing pieces because this was what you got. So mm-hmm. I missed that a little bit. And I, I hope that, I hope that we can have an original fantasy creation specifically tailored for film. Yeah. And it's, and another part of it is, I think, um, they're not they don't feel the need to be complete not not only because they're built on things from before but they're also focused on how many more sequels am i going to get out of this it's very franchise oriented yeah so and and, and that's i understand that that mentality but they never went into those it's a lost art they didn't go into the and and like i said princess bride isn't technically an original but we're going to use it they didn't go into Princess Bride thinking, how many Princess Bride movies can we make? Although there is a sequel book, apparently. Which apparently, yes. Yeah. It is I, a book. Yeah, weird. <laughs> um, but um, 
I miss that. And I, I'd like those to come back. Yeah. I think there was a very cool period of time there. Um, and Jim Henson was heavily involved in like most of those yeah, projects. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's what happened. That, I think that's a very big part of it is Jim Henson is no longer with us, which is... We've lost a huge... Cre- a lot of our creative talent when it comes to practical special effects. Yeah. And I know I, I don't want to be that guy that harps on CG because there's a huge place for it in film. You couldn't accomplish Lord of the Rings without CG. Yeah. But I miss... I miss directors only using that when there's no other choice. Mm -hmm. Or using that to touch things up. Thanks, George Lucas. Yeah, it bums (laughs) me out because I feel like there's a magic to... There's a magic to the interaction between an actor and something that's physically there on set. And not even just that, but going back and looking at how they would film certain scenes of science fiction movies, especially with just... The ideas of miniatures. It's amazing. Like, the only person who's really used a lot of that recently is Christopher Nolan. Like, mm-hmm. watching I, watching the Tumblr go around in the Dark Knight and, like, the fake scale uh, lower whacker drive that they made. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Cause it's very it's, cool. It's all real. It looks real. Because it's so meticulously sculpted and hand-painted. It's not, it's not a digital creation. Yeah. And I, I, I think it would be so cool to have a modern director... Forced to make a movie like you would have to make one back in, That'd be interesting. in in the eighties or the seventies. That would be very interesting. I would watch a like a reality show. Yeah. About his yeah triumph and torment, trying to shooting it on film, building miniatures, matte paintings, the whole nine yards. It would be very cool to watch that. Like, can you imagine? Um, God, Michael Bay. Yeah, I was. Th- oh, I was thinking James Cameron. James Cameron, <laughs> like. Christopher Nolan, any yeah. of those guys. Well, it'd be interesting, especially with Michael Bay, to take somebody who hasn't done that. Like mm-hmm. James Cameron, once upon a time ago, did. He has worked with that, so it's yeah. not as it's not as he would probably be fine. But Michael Bay, perfect. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. To see what how a director would be able to respond to this not is, having this a is team. a Kickstarter project. It's I this. think I think that's that <laughs> there is fantastic potential for for not only seeing what the finished product would be and seeing if it. Seeing if the magic of those childhood films is is perfectly intact in that because of how that was made, or because or not, you know, and I think there's a magic in in watching that process unfold. Yeah, that I would mean, be, that would be very cool. It'd be very cool. Just transport them right back. They're limited. It'd yeah. be very cool. I don't know, but anyway, I miss those are I miss those those types of movies. So, absolutely. All right. Um... So, feedback at fin- film wow midwestfilmnerds dot com. Film us mid nerds. <laughs> um, send us feedback, food for thought questions, thoughts on movies, thoughts on segments, thoughts on whatever. Thoughts on thoughts. Thoughts on thoughts. Uh, all that can go to feedback at midwestfilmnerds dot com, and we're gonna go through a few of the things that have been sent to us this week. Now that we actually have people who listen to the podcast. Yeah, this is really cool. <laughs> um. So, Ace says, why are you reminding me of John Carpenter's fall from grace? <laughs> <laughs> that was my fault, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, referring to last week's Food for Thought, I believe. Um, uh, Ace, I feel your pain. I truly, truly do. I am... I am... It, it, oh, we could get together and talk about this for, for ages, I'm sure. <laughs> but I think it's important that we're reminded of this. Um, 
So no ghost of Mars is ever made again. We need to learn from the mistakes of yes, the sins of the fathers. <laughs> um, we must we must learn from them. History no, is I... doomed to repeat itself if we don't. Yes, and, and the thing is, I I want I you know I want to say that I I I oftentimes complain and whine and moan about things like Ghost of Mars and the downfall of some of my favorite directors or or Alien Three or whatever I'm complaining about that night. And but I will say this. And I think it's important for everybody to remember this is you will always have those films. They are not ruined for you. That's true. They are not ruined for you. So just keep that close to your heart, Ace. <laughs> you will always have the thing. You will always have they live. John Carpenter was once great. Absolutely. And that John Carpenter can live forever in your brain and your memory. Okay. So just just forget about the rest of it, <laughs> I guess. But watch Cigarette Burns if you haven't because it's really awesome. I swear. <laughs> All right, um, we got Sam. Sam from Michigan, actually. All right, Michigander. Um, he just wrote in to say, uh, he said, I started listening to your podcast after hearing it mentioned on A Cast of Kings. Thank you for joining us. We're glad to have you here. Thank you for writing in as well. Uh, I'd support anyone from Michigan trying to do something cool. We're trying to do something cool. Though. We are trying. I hope we're succeeding. <laughs> uh, the first episode I listened to was your episode about Fast and Furious 6. Fast and in parentheses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you for not shitting all over the movie. So often these days, people act smug and hate on everything under the guise of criticism, quote-unquote. These movies are dumb action movies, no doubt, but they are good at being that. I agreed with what you said about the first two movies. They are okay, not great. And they look worse when you see the movies made by Justin Lin. Tokyo Drift is is a beautiful movie, and for all its Fast and Furious ridiculousness, provides a fun movie about street racing that blows the first two out of the water. I think the fourth movie suffered for some pretty bad CG that took away from its effectiveness. Kind of on point with what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was still fun for what it was. But the last two movies have transcended from films into great movies, not just great Fast and Furious movies. Justin Lin shows a talent for making the action scenes coherent, and I hope whoever ends up replacing him for the next one, James Wan, uh, is able to keep that tradition going. That's my thoughts. Not that you care. Keep up the good work, guys. I enjoyed listening to your review, and we'll stay subscribed. First of all, we do care. We sir. do. We do. Yes. Um, I I can't agree enough. Yeah. Um, no, Tokyo Drift. You haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. You're going too soon, I'm sure. As soon as I get over the fact that uh, the loss of of yeah. somebody. Yeah. Um, Tokyo Drift is gorgeous. It. I mean, they they shoot they shoot that the heck out of that that city. Like, That's awesome. oh my god. Yeah. Um. And the only thing I might disagree with what he says is these movies are dumb action movies, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, they are. They, <laughs> they are. They are. At their core, they are dumb action movies. But yeah. they, he's right, though. They transcend yeah. just being dumb action movies, with the, with, certainly with the four, fifth and the sixth ones. They're, they're still big dumb action movies, but they have so much heart and there's so much care put into them. Yeah. And Justin Lin, whatever he does next, it, I hope it's as awesome. I actually thought about this. My favorite superhero... One of my favorite superheroes is Iron Fist. Justin Lin should direct the Iron Fist movie. Interesting. Because he would be perfect for it. Just saying. Interesting. Think about it, Marvel. (laughs) They probably already have. (laughs) Yeah. All right. um, And then let's move on. Peter from, uh, actually, Australia. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, all the way over there. Awesome. Uh, He posted on our Facebook, which is another way you can get in contact with us. You can also tweet us at MFN Podcast. Um, Hey, guys, just finished your show about After Earth. A lot of fun, and I really enjoy the chemistry. Don't know if I can submit questions or queries through Facebook, but here it goes. You can, in fact, Peter. It is possible. Yes, sir. 
Uh, notice that you guys have talked about Game of Thrones before. What did you think of episode 9 of the season, The Red Wedding? I am a non-book reader, and I can't believe I made it this far without being spoiled. Here's three more unspoiled seasons. So, we'll take that as it is. Uh, let's try not to spoil anything. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're both very big Game of Thrones fans. Yeah, neither neither of us have... Uh, read Willie, the Willie's tried to read the books. I've dabbled in the yeah. books. I, I will say I'm not nuts about his writing style and, yeah. and it's i love reading but sometimes it's hard for me to to get into something um that being said i i um i was unfortunately spoiled about certain events that take place this season and that episode in particular but i still enjoyed it um and i'm glad that you were not spoiled because that's super yeah. awesome i i didn't know a damn thing about what was going to happen and uh it was it was pretty jaw-dropping and it's sad and it's horrible but it all, it's also interesting and and it's It'll be interesting to see where the show goes from there. Yes, and if if it can, I mean, honestly, if the show, if the show and the books can go can move on from a certain event that happened back in the first season. Yeah, and they can certainly go and move on from exactly. This and, exactly. And and quite frankly, I think that there there are a lot of people upset and hurt by this, and I totally get that. Um, but this show has has done nothing, in my opinion, but for the most part, improving quality throughout. And it continues to do so. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with um, George R. R. Martin's motives in doing what he did in the book that that this episode was based off of. Sure, but it is interesting. It is. Uh, it takes the story in new directions, and it's something. It's subversion of expectations, and that always has the ability to take you somewhere greater. Absolutely. Like, so I'm I'm very interested to see how this show lives on. Not that it can't, but just what the show does to kind of fill the void that has been left. Mhm. And I I think that I think that there are a lot of very cool stories to be told as a result of the events of of the Red Wedding. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um and then he had a second part to his question. Secondly, what film podcast do you guys listen to and draw your influence from? Uh, I'm probably the most avid podcast listener out mm-hmm. of anybody who's been on the show at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, film podcast-wise, uh, slash filmcast, obviously, that's yeah. that's kind of the number one that kind of really got me into film podcasts in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um Totally Rad show as well was fantastic, sadly. Yeah, and rest, I... Rest I, in peace. I was turned on to that by you. Yeah. Totally Rad show, and I those guys are great. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, Totally Rad show is fantastic. Uh, I enjoy... There's um, not necessarily film, but with uh, television, Breaking Bad podcast, the, the official one is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guys who do the Slash Film cast also had a Breaking Bad one that they did, and I cool. think it will be returning, so... Um, that one's good to check out, and a cast of kings, which most of you came from. Clearly, you know I listen to that as well. Uh, I listen to Doug Loves Movies, which is Doug Benson. It's not really, uh, it's not really film criticism per se. They do get into that a little bit, but they kind of play fun games with different kinds of, you know, movies. They do something called build a title, where you start with a title of a movie and you try to put another title on the front or the end That's of cool. that, and keep building outwards and. Um, he plays games that are kind of like, uh, he plays the Leonard Malton game, which is basically, he takes a Leonard Malton review and finds one or two clues in it and gives you the year and the amount of names that Leonard Malton had listed. And you have to guess how many names from the bottom 
you would be able to answer to to, to guess the movie in. Oh wow. And so it's it's a lot of fun, especially the guests that he gets on there. Sometimes he gets people like uh, uh, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright himself. Oh wow! You know Sam Levine, all kinds of like different actors and comedians, and it's always really fun to see who he's got on each that's week. That's cool. So that's kind of what I listen to. I listen to a lot of other stuff too, but I, we can kind of skip over that. Um, I'm looking to get into Battleship Pretension. I just started listening to it. It's kind of two guys who come from different angles and they often do i think originally they used to um i think this is the right one they used to judge movies based on one of them would judge the movie like review a movie based on the trailer and the other one would review it based on the actual movie that's funny yeah so and and now i think they kind of take a versus topic and and talk about it a little bit that's cool uh one of the more recent episodes was old movies versus new movies and what's the worth in seeing old movies and Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that one, I've heard fantastic things about film spotting. Definitely going to look into that. And then uh, there's a video podcast on the Twit Network called Framerate, which kind of deals with... It's a little more tech-oriented, too, but it's definitely about film and Netflix and, and, and that kind of thing. So Yeah, I, 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 I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, certainly not as many as you do. Yeah. Um, but my, my interest in this kind of stuff, I mean, podcasts to me are essentially they are to am radio what an ipod is to a to a to a cd player they are they you can now listen to content that you want to live that's tailored for you and you can find it easily and you can drive to work listening to it or take a vacation or road trip and listen to whatever so podcasts as a journalism major yeah i think podcasts are fantastic and and i i like broadcast and it's something that i've wanted to dabble into and this is kind of my way of it's, doing it's, that it's amateur radio basically it is and and i've really enjoyed doing it so far i i used to do i used to be on a podcast a walking dead the walking dead podcast with a couple of folks and it's a great podcast there are a couple of great guys i haven't been on there in a long time hopefully soon i'll jump on it yeah for yeah. a bit but um no they're great um and uh no i've just enjoyed doing it you know it's cool to talk about the things you love you know yeah, share them absolutely. with other people. So that's you know that's what I like. We're to gonna do. have these conversations anyway. We might as well. We might as well make a document. <laughs> so yeah, um, it's a good question. Yeah, I think I think it is. And uh, he did want me to say uh, he has his own podcast down in Australia, the Film Drive podcast. I I haven't listened to it yet, but okay. I would like to. I I'll I'll, I'll report back on uh, my feelings uh, on it, but. It's Australia's unofficial film review podcast for those who love to sit back with a bucket of popcorn and cola and be an armchair critic. So nice. It's pretty great. Um, go check it out. I think you can find it at. Let me take a look here. It's on Facebook as the Film Drive. Facebook.com/slash the Film Drive. Um, let's go ch- go check it out there. Very cool. All right. I think that's about it. Um, Many thanks to my brother at Mr. John on Twitter for our music and artwork. Thanks to all the new listeners that we have. We hope you guys will stick around and help us mold our podcast. And, and you know, just we want to become more in, in, in contact with you and what you like about the show and even what you don't like about the show. Mm-hmm. And that way we can make it better. So Absolutely. Reach out to us on Twitter, on Facebook, on, uh, on email, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com. Um, and... We'd love to have you be a part of the show in any way that you possibly can. So Absolutely. And once again a, a big thanks to Cast of Kings. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
super super awesome for it was very cool <clears throat> for for mentioning us so. yeah so yeah i think that's about it um go watch the kings of summer when you can and uh try like the